Hey guys, thank you so much for tuning into this podcast. I want to invite you to stay updated with me on social media and see what we are doing in the ministry. You can follow me on Facebook at John Wallace. You can follow me on Instagram at Jonathan R. Wallace. And you can follow our YouTube page at New Beginnings Huntington. I pray this message builds your faith and gives you revelation. Let's get ready for the Word of God. This morning, I'm going to finish this series out, and we're going to do something the Lord asked me to do. The series we've been preaching is, Is Sickness a Part of God's Plan for Me? Is Sickness a Part of God's Plan for Me? The Lord had told me, I don't know, about a month and a half ago, he gave me several things. He said, I want you to begin to preach on these fundamental things. One of them was the gifts of the Spirit. How many of you remember that? We went through the gifts of the Holy Ghost. One of them was, I want you to teach my people the doctrine of healing. You know, there's so many people that they, they believe that God can heal but they don't have Bible doctrine. They don't have it solidified. They can't really turn to chapter and verse and point to the Bible. This is why I believe it. And I really believe that we're moving into a time where every Christian needs to be able to do that. You know, because the devil's going to try to come to test you and to tempt you and to lie to you. And you have to be able to go back to the Word of God and be absolute certain of situations and say, Hey, thief. I catch you right now with your hand on my life. And the Bible says if the thief is caught, he must repay seven times. Amen. So how do you catch the thief? Well, you have to be able to identify the hand of the thief in order to catch the hand of the thief. Hallelujah. And so the Lord really, it's so important. The Lord wants us to understand the Bible doctrine. Why do we believe these things? Why do we practice healing? Why do we believe that it's God's will for me to be healed? And fundamentally, we're answering the question, is sickness a part of God's plan for me? Can anybody answer that question so far through the series? Is, God, is sickness a part of God's plan for you? Say no. No, it's not part of God's plan for you. Exodus chapter 12, 1 through 13. We're going to start with this. Lord, I ask the Holy Ghost to help me teach this. Father, I thank you for healings that are going to take place in this room this morning. Hallelujah. Diseases are going to be gone. Cancer is going to be gone. Bodies are going to come into alignment. Father, because your word is true and you are alive, Jesus, we believe it. <laughs> we believe it. You're resurrected. You carry the power. Lord, you are the one that formed this earth. And the way that you form this earth, you can form body parts to put in a person's body. You can recreate missing pieces in the name of Jesus. Exodus chapter 12. This is the first Passover. I want to show you something here. So if you know the story of the Passover, the Israelites were in Egypt. And the Lord sent Moses to deliver his people out of Egypt. And this was the final night that they were in Egypt. And this is what's known as the Passover. You'll see why in just a moment. The Lord gave the Israelites, the Lord said, I'm about to do something and I'm going to give you specific instructions that you must carry out in order to be immune from what I'm about to do. Ultimately, what the Lord was about to do was that night, an angel of death was going to go through Egypt. 
And an angel of death was going to visit every single home in the land of Egypt, but yet he gave his people specific instructions how to be immune from that angel, from death coming to their household. And so this was the first Passover. We pick up in verse 1. It says, while the Israelites were still in the land of Egypt, the Lord gave the following instructions to Moses and Aaron. From now on, this month will be the first month of, of the year for you. Announce, the whole, announce to the whole community of Israel that on the 10th day of the month, each family must choose a lamb. Say a lamb. Or a young goat for a sacrifice. One animal for each household. If a family is too small to eat the whole animal, let them share with another family in the neighborhood. Divide the animal according to the size of each family and how much they can eat. The animal you select must be one year old male, either a sheep or goat with no defects. Say no defects. Basically, that was like a perfect, spotless, without blemish, without spot, perfect lamb. It says, take special care of this chosen animal until the evening of the 14th day of the first month. Then the whole assembly of the community of Israel must slaughter their lamb or young goat at twilight. Here's the first instruction. They are to take some of the blood, say blood, and smear it on the sides and top of the door frames of the house where they eat the animal. That same night they must roast the meat of, uh, uh, over a fire and eat it along with bitter salad greens and bread made without yeast. I want you to say the flesh. Another translation doesn't say meat. It says the flesh. So say blood. Now say flesh. So, so far, we have two instructions. You're supposed to take this perfect lamb that's without spot, without wrinkle, without blemish. You're going to slaughter this lamb. You're going to take its blood, put it over your doorposts. Then you're going to roast that lamb and go inside your house and eat the flesh of that lamb. Everybody with me here? Do not eat any of the meat raw or boiled in water. The whole animal, including the head, the legs, the Internal organs must be roasted over the fire. Do not leave any of it until the next morning. Burn whatever is not eating, uh, eaten before morning. These are the instructions for eating this meal. Be fully dressed. Wear your sandals. Carry your walking stick in your hand. Eat the meal with urgency for the Lord's. This is the Lord's Passover. On that night, I will pass through the land of Egypt and strike down every firstborn son and firstborn male animal in the land of Egypt. I will execute judgment against all the gods of Egypt, for I am the Lord. But the blood on your doorposts will serve as a sign, marking the houses where you're staying. When I see the blood, say the blood, I will pass over you, and the plague of death will not touch you when I strike the land of Egypt. Amen. There's something that I want you to see. So fundamentally important. This morning, I'm going to have you say this many times. I want you to say two parts. There's two parts of this lamb. But before I get to these two parts, I want to show you something. Turn to Hebrews 9. Getting ahead of myself. Turn to Hebrews 9, 11 through 14. Hebrews 9, 11 through 14. Verse 11, so Christ has now become the high priest over all the good things that have come. He's entered the greater, more perfect tabernacle in heaven. 
which was not made by human hands and is not a part of this created world. With his own blood, not the blood of goats and calves, he entered the most holy place once for all time and secured our redemption forever. Under the old system, the blood of bulls and goats and ashes of a heifer could cleanse people's bodies from ceremony, ceremonial impurity. Just think how much more the blood of Christ, say the blood of Christ, will purify our conscience from spiritual deeds, uh, from sinful deeds, so that we can worship the living God. For by the power of the eternal spirit, Christ offered himself to God as a perfect sacrifice for our sins. There's something that you need to understand. This, this lamb that we just read about in the first Passover, it was a type and a picture of Jesus Christ. Amen. In the old covenant, God had them do many things that ultimately was just creating this giant picture of Jesus Christ. So that when Jesus Christ stepped on the scene and did everything that he did, they would all say, wow, now we see it. Now we, we see the, the fourth man standing in the fire. We see the Lamb of God. The, uh, we see this Lamb that we had to slaughter and shed its blood. And then Jesus came and he shed his blood. And so the Bible says that all of those things was just a type and shadow of Jesus Christ. So here's my point. What we're about to read about and understand in the Exodus was just a picture of Jesus and what Jesus did for us. Hallelujah. Now, there was two parts. There was two instructions given for this lamb at the first Passover. And so there was two things that, that the Lord had them do. And I'm going to show you these two atonements that Jesus purchased with the sacrifice of his body. Number one, first say this, say two parts. First part is the blood. Say the blood. He had them, the Lord had them smear the blood over the doorposts. Say the blood. What did the blood do? Well, in Exodus 12, 13, again, it says, But the blood on your doorposts will serve as a sign, marking the houses where you're staying. When I see the blood, I will pass over you, and this plague of death will not touch you when I strike the land of Egypt, the blood of the lamb, it says it saved them from death. Death did not visit their household because of the blood of the lamb that was smeared on the doorpost. So I want you to write this down this morning. I want this to be really simple. Number one, write this down. The blood saves us. The blood saves us. Let me define this for you. In Romans 6.23... It says, for the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. The wages of sin is death. So the Bible says that where there is sin, the price for sin is death. When you sin, the price that must be paid is death. If somebody sins, something has to die. Amen? If somebody sins, something has to die. Now look at Romans 3.23. Everyone has sinned. Say everyone. everyone. Guess what? That means me. That means you. That means everybody in this room has sinned. And what's the wages of sin? Death. See, what does that mean? Death is due to every single one of us because of sin. Hallelujah. You know, basically, sin has a price and it's death. If you go to the store and you buy a gallon of milk, what does it cost? Well, I guess it depends on what milk you buy these days, right? There's like 50 shades of milk at Walmart. 
you got great value, you go to Sam's, you got Members Mark, you got Old Horizon, the organic milk. Hey, you can go to the Brookshire Brothers on Frank and Lufkin, and you can get farm milk in a glass bottle. It's pretty good. They make you pay a $2 deposit for the bottle, though. It's pretty insane. But you can go buy milk, and, and that milk has a purchase price, right? That's what that milk costs. Well, sin has a price, and it's death. We've all sinned, so therefore death is due to all of us. Where there is sin, the requirement is death. Something has to die. Now look at this. Hebrews 9.22 says this. In fact, according to the law of Moses, nearly everything was purified with blood. For without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. So not only does something have to, to die... But the Bible even narrows it down. The price for sin is blood. Say blood. If there is sin, there has to be blood that is shed. If blood is not shed, then that sin has not been paid for, and you're still guilty of that sin. And so the blood saved them. Hallelujah. Let's just kind of, I want you to see this. In Hebrews 10, 11 through 12, it says, Under the old covenant, the priest stands and ministers before the altar day after day, offering the same sacrifices again and again, which can never take away sins. I want to pause right there. That's, that's the reason they sacrificed animals under the old covenant. You know, God wasn't able to fully justify them, but what happened was because there was sin, there had to be bloodshed, right? So they had to kill an animal and shed its blood, and the Lord would take that blood and say, okay, you know... Um, you lied today, so there has to be bloodshed because the wages of sin is death. Something has to shed its blood. They would kill an animal, and that blood would be applied towards that one specific sin. And that's the most amazing thing when you read the book of Hebrews that's different from what Jesus did than the blood of bulls and goats. The Bible says that, that although the blood of animals could appease specific little sins, it could not solve the problem because what the blood of Jesus did is it canceled sin once for all time. It made us eternally righteous before God. Hallelujah. So that means that, uh, you know, because the thing about it is you're walking with Christ. The Bible says God is perfecting those that have been made perfect. Let me tell you, in Christ Jesus, you are made perfect. Why? Because he became sin that you might become the righteousness of God. But yet it says he's perfecting those that have been made perfect. How can you be made perfect yet you're still being perfected? What does that mean? That means that when you get saved, you're brought into right relationship, right standing with God. You're made perfect in the spirit, but now you get filled with the Holy Ghost and you spend your life transforming into that reality in which God originally brought you into. My life starts working out the kinks until this looks like the spiritual reality that I am perfect in Jesus Christ. Amen. And the longer that you walk with Christ, you should be conformed into his image. You should start looking more like Jesus and less like you. Hallelujah. Amen. And so, so it says this. So they would go and they would offer these animal sacrifices. They would, okay, you committed this sin. You got to shed this blood. And then once a year, the priests would make an animal sacrifice just in case everybody sinned. And they, they didn't know. It was unintentional. It was an intentional sin. It's like, it, in case you sinned last Tuesday and you didn't even know it, we're going to shed blood for that as well. There had to be the shedding of blood. 
But it says, our high priest offered himself to God as a single sacrifice for sins, good for all time. And then he sat down in the place of honor at God's right hand. So Jesus shed his blood for our sins. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Jesus, the penalty, there had to be blood that was shed. So Jesus shed his blood, which is what? Good for all time. That means that there's not any sin that anybody's ever committed that the blood of Jesus can't cover. Now, you're going to get into some scary stuff because I know what's going to happen. The reality of this is, is that your right standing with God is not based off of your actions. It's based off of faith. But then people are going to say, well, if that's true, then that means that I can just live a life of sin. But then the Bible says in Romans 6, well, then since God has shown us such a glorious grace, can we go on sinning? Absolutely not. You should consider yourself dead to the power of sin and alive in the Lord Jesus Christ. We don't take God's grace for granted, but the ultimate reality is every time the devil tries to tell you, you're not enough, you're not good enough, you're not perfect enough, you're not good enough for me to use you. Man, you can't lay your hands on those people and them get healed. You know, do you really, do you know yourself? You're not the the Lord's chosen anointed. All these lies, you say that's a lie from hell because in Christ I am the righteousness of God. God sees me just like he sees Jesus Christ. You understand, do you know that? That the Bible says that when God looks at you, he sees you just like he sees Jesus Christ. Because you have put on Christ like putting on new clothes. The Bible says you're seated in Christ. You know, the Bible says that the devil is the accuser of the brethren. The the devil, he can go just like Job. He goes and he tries to bring all these accounts against us and the father. He he sits on the throne and the devil starts saying, oh man, you know, Timmy, this and that, or Bryston, this and that, or John, this and that. And the father goes to look at us, to look for that sin. And when he looks, all he actually really sees is if we're in faith, is he sees because we're in Christ, all he sees is his son, Jesus Christ. And he sees this through the shedding of that blood. That is not a license to go and sin. Actually, if you get the reality of that, you'll never want to sin again. You'll say, Lord, I love you so much. I'm so thankful for your grace and your mercy. I want to live like Jesus on this earth, free from sin. Hallelujah. And so it says, he shed his blood. Let us go right into the presence of God, Hebrews 10, 22. With sincere hearts fully trusting him, for our guilty conscience have been sprinkled with the blood, say the blood, to make us clean, and our bodies have been washed with pure water. Jesus shed his blood to pay the price that was due to us, death and hell. He took away the wage that was due to us. Hallelujah. So that lamb, when they put the blood of that lamb on their doorpost, it was a picture of Jesus, how his blood is applied to you and me. And so when that angel of death comes to our door, it passes over us because of the, our house, our temple, our home is marked with the blood of Jesus. Hallelujah. That was just a type and a shadow of Jesus and his blood as that lamb. I just love this. I'm just going to read this to you real quick. Colossians 2, 13 through 15. You were dead because of your sins, and because of your sinful nature was not yet cut away. Then God made you alive with Christ, for he forgave all your sins. Say, he forgave me. God 
The thing about why the Holy Ghost is so essential is that Jesus doesn't only forgive you, but it says, the old has passed away, and behold, all things are new. You're not the same old person. You are a new creation in Christ. Hallelujah. That's what the transforming power of the Holy Ghost does, is it's not the same old John just trying to be better. Jesus forgives me of all my sin, fills me with his spirit, so I can actually live on this earth as a different being than I was before. But it says he canceled the record of charges against us. What does that mean? The wages of sin is death. The charges that we had accumulated meant that we deserved death, but he canceled it. How did he cancel it? By shedding his blood for us. Hallelujah. He took it away by nailing it to the cross, and in this way, he disarmed the spiritual rulers and authorities. How does that make sense? How did Jesus disarm the devil? By shedding his blood for you and me. How did he do it? Well, if you really live by faith in this, that means he disarmed the devil because now the devil has no foothold in your life. The devil has no pull. The devil has no hooks. The devil, again, you know, what, the only way the devil can gain access to our life is through sin. When we live life under, out from underneath that blood that was shed for us. But when we walk in continual faith, and we thank the Lord, just like Jesus taught us to pray, Father, forgive me of my sins as I forgive those that sin against me. What am I doing? I'm walking every day. Whenever we're praying like that, we're walking continually in the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so when the accuser comes trying to get a foothold, trying to gain access, trying to get, have a right to our lives, he can't. Why? Because Jesus shed his blood, and we're underneath that blood, and so he has to pass over our household. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. He shamed them publicly by his victory over them on the cross. I want you to say two parts. Say the blood. What does the blood do? Say the blood saved me. The blood saves me. And also, I'm going to tell you this as well. The blood by saving you, it separates you as well. Psalms 91 says, Though a thousand fall at my side and ten thousand die around me, these evils will not touch me. Why will they not touch me? Because in the Spirit I have a blood. I have blood covering the doorposts of my temple. Do you believe that you have a bloodline drawn in the Spirit? People need to start walking in these realities. We need to catch the thief in the act. When the devil tries to come and bring things into our life, you say, no, you can't. There's a bloodline that's drawn. You cannot cross over this bloodline. Hallelujah. Your house covered in the blood of Jesus. Your kids covered in the blood of Jesus. Your vehicles, your property, your life under the blood of Jesus. 1 John 5.18 it says that God's Son holds us securely and the evil one touches us not. Say, the blood separates me. Thank you, Lord Jesus. So there was two parts, the blood. Now let's get to the second part this morning. Only a little bit more this morning. I want you to see this. A lot of people understand, most Christians, they've grown up in denominational churches that have taught them pretty well about the blood. They understand Jesus paid a price with his blood and forgiveness of sin, and they have no problem with that. 
But the thing is, was there one instruction at Passover or was there two instructions? That lamb had two parts. You had to shed its blood and then they also had to what? Eat the flesh that night. That's the part that's not being taught to people. And you're going to see why it's so important. So part number two is the flesh. Say the flesh. He said, go and roast the flesh, the meat of the lamb, eat it with bread, eat it with salad greens. But they went into their houses that night, and they ate the flesh of this lamb that they had slaughtered that was a type and shadow of Jesus Christ. So whenever they smeared the blood on the doorpost, it saved them. Now, I'm going to ask you this question, and if you know it, you don't have to spoil her. You just, just let this be a refresher. What happened... What happened when they ate the flesh of that lamb? <laughs> what happened? Well, what does the Bible say? Look at Psalms 105, 36 through 37. In Psalms 105, 36 through 37, the Lord's actually giving David prophetic insight of the events of the first Passover. The entire chapter of Psalms 105 is about the exodus, the plagues that came to Egypt and Moses and all those things that took place. So it says this, the Lord gave some prophetic insight. In Psalms 105, 36 through 37, it says, He destroyed all the firstborn in their land. That's what we just read in Exodus, right? The first of all their strength. He also brought them out with silver and gold. And there was none feeble among his tribes. There's three fundamental truths that you can see about the atonement of Jesus Christ in that original Passover. Number one, the blood saved them. Number two, we're going to talk about what happened when they ate the flesh. And number three, that next morning the Lord escorted them out of Egypt with the wealth of the wicked being transferred over to the righteous. Hallelujah. So I'm going to kind of clarify this even more. I want you to say feeble. So it says there was none feeble among his tribes. Well, the word feeble, if the definition actually means this, it means lacking physical strength, especially as a result of old age or illness. So when there was none feeble, that means that there was none that were weak among them. Guess what? There was none feeble. That means there was none that were sick among them. The Lord actually removed feebleness from among them. This is the most amazing thing. Most historians believe, some say there was 600,000 that came out of Egypt. Some say there was 2 million that came out of Egypt. Here's the miracle in all of this. Say 2 million people. Guys, that wasn't just a bunch of 18-year-olds. That went all the way from babies to people that were 70, 80, 90 years, old, 90 years old that have been slaves their entire life. And the Bible says there was none. That means not single one that was feeble. There was not one that was weak. There was not one that came walking out of Egypt like this, oh, you know, having to go in the wilderness. The Lord gave them strength. The Lord healed each and every one of them. Hallelujah. When did this happen? When did the Lord heal all, of them, heal all of them for them to be escorted out of Egypt with feebleness removed? When did this happen? Did it happen when they put the blood on the doorposts? No, it didn't. The blood on the doorposts saved them, but this is the most amazing thing. And I believe this is what lines up with the Bible. 
That night, the second instruction the Lord told them was take the flesh. Take the flesh of this lamb. Go inside of your home and eat it. And you know what happened that night? As they began to eat the flesh of the lamb, feebleness was removed from among them. What does feebleness mean? All weakness, illness, old age, deterioration. I tell you, there was people, they began to eat the flesh of that lamb sitting inside their little huts that the blood was covering the doorposts and cancer began to just drain out of their bodies. Backs began to straighten up. Hallelujah. Legs began popping. Limbs began growing out and not one of them left Egypt being sick being weak, being broke down, being beat down, the Lord removed it from each and every one of them. So say, the flesh is for my healing. So what do you see in the original Passover, which was a type and shadow of Jesus Christ? The Lord saved them, the Lord healed them, and then the Lord took them out of Egypt with the wealth of the wicked. Hallelujah. That's a type and a shadow of what we've received in the Lord Jesus Christ. But most people only know the blood part. I want you to say two parts. Write this down for number two. The blood frees us from sin and death. And the body heals us from sickness and disease. The blood of the lamb frees us from sin and death. And the body of the lamb heals us from sickness and disease. This is all throughout the scripture. Look at Psalms 103, 2 through 3. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and not forget all of his benefits. Say benefits. What's benefits? That's if you get a job, you know, and, and they have benefits. They may have retirement packages, uh, insurance policies, things that you receive that are benefits to that job. Well, Jesus made a purchase with his body, and we receive benefits from that purchase. What are these benefits? It says this. Bless the Lord, all my soul. May I never forget his benefits. He forgives all of my iniquities. Say, forgives all my iniquities. And he heals all your diseases. Hallelujah. Man, somebody got a shout in here. That's good. Read it in, in the NLT. Let all that I am praise the Lord. May I never forget the good things that he does for me. Here's these two parts. He forgives all my sins. He heals all my diseases. One thing you're going to see throughout the whole Bible is that the Lord couples for forgiveness of sin and healing together every time. You know why? Because Jesus paid for both of them. Jesus paid equally for both of them. Isaiah 53, 5, it says, He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and by his stripes we are healed. Let's break that down a little bit more. I'll read it to you in the NLT. It says, He was pierced. Say, He was pierced. What was that? That was the shedding of his blood. He was pierced. And in fact, the Bible says that when they drove that spear into the side of Jesus Christ, which I know at that point he was already dead, but he had been pierced in his hand and pierced in his feet. His head had been pierced with a crown of thorns. After his death, they pierced his body, and when they ripped the spear out, it said blood and water began to 
pouring out of his side. He was pierced for our rebellions. That means sin. He shed his blood for our sins. Say the blood covers my sin. But not only does the blood cover your sin, that's not all he did. He was beaten so we could be whole. He was whipped so we could be healed. Jesus shed his blood for our forgiveness, and he took stripes on his body for our healing. Come on, somebody. Does anybody in this room have to die and go to hell? Then no one in this room has to stay sick. Write this down for number three. Jesus paid for healing just as equally as he paid for salvation. Jesus paid for healing just as equally as he paid for salvation. That verse we just read in Isaiah 53, 5. He was pierced for our rebellion. He was crushed for our sin. If you walked up to the average Christian and said, do you believe you're saved? They would say, yeah, I'm saved. How do you know that you're saved? How do they know? Because the Bible tells them. Bible tells you he shed his blood for your transgressions. He was pierced for your transgressions. Right? But the same verse that tells you he was pierced for your transgressions also tells you that he was whipped for your healing. So why is it that so many Christians have such a hard time? They believe that God saves all day long, but when it comes to healing... They're like, well, I don't know. I don't know if the Lord does that. I don't know if it's will for me. I don't know if, if that's a part of his plan for my life. Well, the same verse that tells you he shed his blood for your sins tells you that he was whipped so you could be healed. Right. Hallelujah. Say healing belongs to me. I'll show you an example of this in Matthew 1 through 7. Turn your Bibles there. Matthew 9, 1 through 7. I'm going to go ahead and ask my team to bring out the communion out of the kitchen. Hallelujah. Matthew 9, 1 through 7. I like what Brother Timothy said. He said, some people make the Bible so complicated, but when you read it, it's right there in plain English. (laughs) <laughs> I mean, it's just plain as daylight, yeah. isn't it? Yeah. I mean, when you really look at the scripture, why, why are we so unbelieving and why are we so doubting of God? He said it so clearly. Right. In Matthew 9, 1 through 7, Jesus climbed into the boat and he went across the lake to his own town. Some people brought to him a paralyzed man on a mat, seeing their faith. Y'all just set it down, please. Seeing their faith, Jesus said to the paralyzed man, Be encouraged, my child, your sins are forgiven. So I want you to understand this. They bring a man to Jesus who's paralyzed. Was the man coming to get his sins forgiven or was he coming to be healed? He was coming to be healed. He was paralyzed. But yet Jesus looks at him and he doesn't say be healed. He says your sins are forgiven. Wait, hold on a second. Keep reading. But some of the teachers of religious law said to themselves, that's blasphemy. Does he think that he's God? 
Jesus knew what they were thinking, so he asked them, why do you have such evil thoughts in your hearts? Is it easier to say your sins are forgiven or stand up and walk? So I will prove to you that the son of, the, uh, son of man has the authority on earth to forgive sins. Jesus turned to the paralyzed man and said, stand up, pick up your mat, and go home. Why would Jesus tell this man that needed healing, your sins are forgiven? Was Jesus confused? No, he wasn't confused. But what he was doing was illustrating this point that I'm telling you today. He paid an equal price for your healing as he did for the forgiveness of your sins. Both are equal sides of the same coin. Both are the will of God that you be saved and that you be healed. And Jesus actually used them interchangeably because they were both purchased and they're both received the same way, which is by faith. You know, you can be healed by your faith. I know that you can come to revival meetings and people can lay hands on you and do all of these things and God will heal that way. But you can also be healed by your faith because you can be saved by your faith. The Bible says to be saved, you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is the Lord and that God raised him from the dead. And what happened? You'll be saved. Right? And then you just go around. Well, what do the devil try to do? Well, you don't really feel saved. Well, I don't care how I feel. I am saved because I believed and I confessed and Jesus is my Lord. So devil, you shut up and go to hell. I am saved. But then we think that we got to do the hokey pokey and spin around six times and roll and flip and do cartwheels to get healed. But no, what do you do? Believe in your heart and confess with your mouth and receive it from the Lord the same way that you receive salvation. I am healed. I am healed. No, you're not healed. You don't really feel that good. I don't care what you say, devil. I am healed because in Matthew 8, 17, he took my sicknesses and removed my diseases. Hallelujah. I want you to say healing comes through the body of the lamb. Final point this morning, number four. The New Testament church taught healing through the Lord's body. This isn't some new thing that we made up that somebody thousands of years later read the scriptures and said, oh, we got a new revelation to teach everybody. This is what the New Testament church taught people. What I'm telling you this morning. How do we know this? Well, Paul, Apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians 11, I receive from you, I'm sorry, I receive from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the same night in which he, betray, he was betrayed, Bryson, grab this bread and bring it over here for me. Put it down. Thank you. <laughs> Hallelujah. You know what they were celebrating the night before Jesus was crucified? It's Passover. What was instituted, what we just read about in Israel. You know what they did every, every time at Passover? They ate the lamb. They shed blood. They made sacrifices. They ate the flesh of the lamb. But then what did Moses tell them to do? Eat it with bread and salad greens. And so Jesus went... And that night, he took that bread on Passover, and this is what he said. He took the bread, and he gave thanks to it, and he broke it, and he said, take it and eat it. And he held it up to him and said, this is my body, which is broken for you.
You know, these Jewish boys, they knew the history. They knew that when their ancestors ate the flesh of that lamb that night, that feebleness was removed from among them, and the Lord escorted them out of Egypt loaded with silver and gold. They knew that. They knew the stories. They knew the Bible. And Jesus is connecting the dots, holding up the bread, saying, this, what you've been doing, it was a picture of me. This is my body, which I'm about to give for you. And everything that it represented then, it represents now. And I'm going to fulfill this in my body. Hallelujah. This is my body. He broke it and he said, take it and eat of it. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same manner, he took the cup after the supper. He held up a cup. He said, this is the cup of the new covenant of my blood. The the cup that they drank of, the wine that they drank, they knew it represented the blood of that lamb at Passover. It was a representation. And he said, this is my blood. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. And then he says this, for as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. What does it mean to proclaim the Lord's death? Let all that I am praise the Lord and let me never forget his benefits. He forgives all my sins and he heals all of my diseases. Walking in, this was God instituting forgiveness, constantly walking and living under the blood, and the New Testament church walking in divine health. That's why he said, do it often. Did you know that we take communion at this church every single week? Maybe some people didn't know that. We actually do it every single week, Sunday mornings at 930. Why? Because Jesus told us to. We said, Lord, yeah, we're going to take care of ourselves. We're going to eat well. We're going to be smart and wise, do all that stuff. But ultimately, Lord, we're walking in divine promises. We take that body every, we take the bread every single week. We say, this is your body, Jesus. By your stripes, I am healed today. Cancer has to leave. Soreness, stiffness, back problems, bowel problems, heart problems, head problems, eye problems, ear problems. It has to leave according to the word of God. It has to. Therefore, when you eat this bread or drink this cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner. I want you to say unworthy manner. You will be guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord. You know, this can scare a lot of people. Well, I shouldn't take communion then what it, because they don't understand what it means to do it in an unworthy manner. Well, thank God that Paul told us exactly what he meant. He's about to show us. So he says, if you do it in an unworthy manner, you'll be guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord. Let a man examine himself so that let him eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For he who drinks, eats and drinks in an unworthy manner eats and drinks judgment to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. So basically, he's showing us, he uses that phrase, an unworthy manner, and then he tells us what he means, not discerning the Lord's body. So what does it mean to take of the Lord's supper in an unworthy manner? It means to do so, not discerning the Lord's body. Say the body. body. What it was the body for? Healing. Healing. Say healing. By his stripes, by his body, by the flesh of the lamb, feebleness was removed from among them. So I want you to say the word discerning. 
That word in the Greek, to discern, it actually means to separate and make a distinction. So basically what Paul was saying was the Corinthians were coming together in this thing that the Lord instituted, but they were not making a distinction of the Lord's body which was given for their healing. They would probably be like most Christians. Oh, we know the blood saves and we believe it. We receive that. We got no problem with it. But then they just started taking the bread religiously, routinely, and not standing in the benefit, not standing in the atonement of what Jesus purchased with his body. So because they failed to make distinction of the Lord's body, look what he says. For this reason, for what reason? Because you have not been discerning the Lord's what? body for this reason many of you are weak many are sick among you and many have fallen asleep that word fallen asleep it it means basically passed away they died so what was paul telling them many in your church are weak many in your church are sick and many of your church have died a premature death not because it was god's will for that to ever happen to them because they failed to walk in the atonement in which jesus purchased with his body Hallelujah. (laughs) Hallelujah. I'm going to tell you this morning, you don't have to be weak. You don't have to be sick. You don't have to die before your time. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Actually, I want you to say this. I want you to say, I will not be weak. Say, I will not be sick. And say, I will live, and I will not die, and I will proclaim the goodness of God for all my life. Hallelujah. Praise you, Lord Jesus. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Praise you, Jesus. Praise you, Jesus. Thank you so much for tuning in with me as I shared the Word of God. If you would like to become more than just a casual listener and want to give to our ministry, you can do so in the following ways. For credit or debit, go to www.nbchuntington.org. For PayPal, you can send it to NBC Huntington. For Cash App, use dollar sign capital NBCHTX20. Thank you so much. I pray God blesses you abundantly. Until next time, this is John Wallace.